what was it like living in the bus during the pandemic, especially the early days? It kind of felt like we had built a social distancing mobile and we were so lucky to have like to be in this space during this time. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 119 with Ayana Sundari Malcolm. Ayana Sundari Malcolm is an inspiring guest who has been living and traveling in a schoolie with her husband, John, since 2019. All the while, she's been documenting her travels and experiences with racism across the country on her blog. I asked Ayana to come on the show to tell us about these experiences and to learn how we can all do better to make tiny house living safe for Black people and people of color. I hope you stick around. Have you been working on planning or building your tiny house and feel like you want to connect with other people, get your questions answered, and just support each other on the way? Well, Tiny House Engage is the place for you. Tiny House Engage is an online community that brings together tiny house hopefuls and DIYers to share plans and resources, learn from each other's challenges and mistakes, and celebrate our successes so we can feel less alone while we build faster, safer, smarter, cheaper homes and embrace the tiny house lifestyle. Whether you're a tiny house dreamer who's still figuring out all the systems, plans, and everything you need to go into your tiny house, or if you're actively building, Tiny House Engage has the resources for you. There are professional contractors in the community here to answer your questions about plumbing, electricity, ventilation, and more. And there's also plenty of interaction between members. If you need some encouragement or just need to know how someone else solved a particular problem, you'll get those answers in Tiny House Engage. I'm also very active in the community, answering questions and keeping an eye on things every day. So if you want to interact with me, this is a great place to do it. To learn more and register for Tiny House Engage, go to thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Registration is open through Friday, July 24th, or whenever we get 20 new members, whichever comes first. I can't wait to meet you in Tiny House Engage, and I know you'll love your new tiny house community. That website again is thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Right. I am here with Ayana Sundri Malcolm. At 27, Ayana lost her mother to breast cancer and at 31 years old, her father to brain cancer. After their death and her years as their caregiver, Ayana decided to leave a successful career in public relations and follow her passion for all things wellness. She has since traveled the world teaching Hatha Yoga, Yoga for the Special Child, Prenatal Yoga, Post Labor Yoga, Yoga for Cancer, Yoga for Grief, Yoga Nidra, and Meditation. She is an ERYT 500-level teacher and a yoga teacher trainer. Outside of yoga, Ayana is a birth and death doula who believes that the transitions of life deserve humor, unwavering support, and grace. Ayana works as a community manager for The Dinner Party, a nonprofit organization dedicated to those in their 20s and 30s who have suffered significant loss. She's the founder of Bliss Out Retreats, a company that creates immersive, ultra-inclusive getaways throughout the world. Currently, Ayana, John, and their dog, Anna May, are traveling around the United States and Canada in a converted school bus named Eula May, learning all they can about this country, the people, and now how race relations are playing out state by state. 
Ayanna Sundry Malcolm, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, I wanted to start with just your decision to convert a school bus and and go on the road. Um, can you tell me why, you know, why did you choose a school bus over like a, I'm going to say traditional tiny house on wheels? Um, and, you know, tell, tell me a little bit about, about the house. So let's see. Um, I was living in Miami and had been there about five, six years and met my then boyfriend, now husband. And at the time I had just gotten back from Italy and I was to be honest, I was kind of done with America. I wanted a, a change and a shift. And so I came back and I was like, I'm packing all my stuff and I'm moving to Italy. And then I met this man and he was actually in the process of buying a houseboat because he wanted to travel by sea. And then Hurricane Irma happened. And so it took out the boat that he was going to buy in his dock. And then we, I guess, were watching YouTube and like stumbled upon schoolies. It happened that there was a tiny house festival in Elkton, Florida that was happening like a couple weeks after we had started talking about this. And we went and we saw all of these families and people who explained that they had done this themselves and had no experience and were working and, and driving on the road. And we looked at each other and it was like, well, why not? And truthfully within, I think like a month, we had absolutely made the decision, pulled the trigger and let employment know, sold the condo, the cars and completely downsized. Um, and I think for us, the reason for a school bus, I think over an RV specifically was safety. I think for us, it made sense that this is what carries children and they're made out of steel and their engines are made to go for a really, really long time. And traditional RVs, when they are in accidents, some of them fall apart. We've seen pictures of those online. So it was a safety precaution. It was a, how long can we go in this? It was the ability to customize it. Schoolies just have so many options for what you can do. And and when you go to those tiny home festivals and see just how different each one is, it was exciting and, and motivating. Um, we were lucky that we both had jobs that for the most part were easy to transition. So it was kind of like a, this has already been laid out for us. And so why not do it? How long did the build take and how long have you been on the road? So we bought the bus. Uh, April of last year, we moved into it May 15th. So we just had like a sub floor down. Um, we then spent about, I think it was eight months converting. And then we were in North Carolina. So we went to North Carolina. We've got very lucky in finding a man who had a flea market. And I suggest this to everybody who's trying to find a place to build because it is such a hard thing and sometimes what deters people. So this man had a flea market, farmer's market, and it's only open on the weekends. And so Monday through Friday, it's an empty parking lot for the most part. And we paid him $75 for the month. It had electricity. Um, we were able to live in it and convert. And on the weekends, we became kind of a an attraction for people coming to the farmer's market. And it was exciting for him and for people visiting, and it gave us a place to safely convert. So within eight months, we were pretty 
we were comfortable enough to get on the road. We were certainly not done. We're, I'm sitting on an unfinished couch right now. Um, we went to Virginia and spent about a month there. And then we started our trek and we've been on the road full time ever since. Nice. And it, most people won't, won't see any video, but I'm looking kind of just behind you and it looks, it looks awesome. It is fantastic in here. I have to say that our plan originally was we were going to do a lap and then we were going to turn the bus into an Airbnb and we were heading overseas. Now, because of COVID, because of the racial movement that's happening here, because also the bus is becoming so beautiful and so comfortable, we're going to take another lap. We are still in the process of doing things. We still have to do our bathroom. We have a toilet. We have a composting toilet that we actually built ourselves. We don't have a shower yet. Um, so we're going to do that. And then we need to upholster this couch and build a deck on the roof. But otherwise, we are fully solar powered by Go Power Solar. We cut off our wheel wells, so we have a bit of a different layout than other buses. We don't have that middle aisle. We actually have an L shape, and there's like a suite in the back. It also allowed us by cutting off the wheel wells. It also allowed us by cutting off the wheel wells to have a six inch gap in the floor, so we can sink in that bathtub and that shower. So you basically raised up the floor so that the wheel wells are are hidden in there. So we raised our roof 14 inches and we raised our floor. So we cut our wheel wells off. My husband measured how much give we needed between the wheel then and the base. And so our floor is now flat completely throughout. Um, and yeah, so that gave us a six inch gap. The truth was we originally thought that we were going to run our electricity through our floor. And we were going to put our batteries down there. We were going to store our batteries in the floor was what we were planning. Um, but we have eight AGM deep cycle batteries, which are enormous. And so they didn't fit in the floor. And so we built a storage container outside. And now we're going to use that gap for a, a sunken bathtub, which is very exciting. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, that... that does really open a lot of possibilities when you get that in-floor space. Yeah. The thing that came to my mind was like also water storage, both fresh and gray water. You could totally get tanks for there. For we do. So we have right behind me is the kitchen counter, which is in an L shape. Um, we have a 65 gallon tank that we have our fresh water that sunk into that floor. So we have like a nice pocket for it so it can't rock. And then we have a tank underneath for our gray tank. We don't have a black tank. We use the composting. So that is our, you know, our running water, what will be shower water and urine. And that all goes into a tank underneath. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love the possibility with schoolies and also the fact that they're just so overbuilt that like weight isn't really as much of an issue as it is in a tiny house. Absolutely. I mean, we, I think the bus with seats was 13,000, right? And so when you take the seats out, like the seats are super heavy. We did that demo ourselves and we didn't put in furniture that weighs as much as those seats weigh. Um, so yeah, we don't really worry about it at all. I honestly don't know that we've even been weighed, but it's not something that we're like, just right. Plus like, you know, the weight of 
40 people that could be in there too. You don't have. Exactly. Once you add like the seats and all of those little children, like it's definitely lighter than our kitchen counter and a refrigerator. So Yeah. What is there a story behind the name of the bus? Eula May. So it's funny because I have a dog, Anime, and then a bus, Eula May. It wasn't exactly on purpose. Anime is Tina Turner's real name, which is how my dog got her name. Eula May was because we bought the bus off Craigslist in Nashville, North Carolina, um, in this very tiny country um, mechanic shop. And in the place where we were kind of doing paperwork and walked this like four foot five, very round black woman who was so loud and so feisty and so lovely. And she made us just hysterically laugh the whole time. But mostly it was how feisty she was. And we were doing the demo of the bus. Like if you've ever demoed a bus, it is like, Jesus Christ, how much glue and nails are in this thing. And we called her feisty and it was like, oh, she's kind of like that lady we met in the office. And so you may after you may. That's all. Does she know that you named the bus after her? She does not. But we're making our way back to Florida to spend the winter there. And we said we were going to stop in Nashville to show the guys the bus. And she worked there, I think. So like, hopefully she'll be there and we can let her see her namesake. <laughs> wow. That's. Uh, I hope I I hope she is as honored as I would be if somebody named their bus after me. Right, it would be really terrible if she was insulted, but I it's all in good spirit. So yeah, and also like the thing that always strikes me about schoolies is like from the outside, it's hard to do much to them to make them mm. like look all that nice. Like it's a school bus, but then like you you step inside and they all have so much personality and like they just the amount of space and the way that the space is laid out. It's just always a, uh, like a pleasant surprise when you walk into one. So I'm sure she will be. It really is. I'll tell you, like we, our condo is 1900 square feet before this, and we have more storage here. I don't have the big closet, but between like all the cabinetry and the floor storage and the under bed storage, and we have a garage out back. Um, we are very lucky. And like, I don't feel like I've lost lost anything by going to 200 square feet. So you've been, you've been on the road living in this bus through the COVID pandemic and now through all of the unrest and, and protests that are happening across the country. I'm like, I'm like, do I ask about them separately or is it like, it's kind of hard to disentangle them in some ways. It is. Yeah. What was it like? living in the bus like during the pandemic especially the early days when like everyone was kind of freaking out and you know i definitely saw some news stories about like oh van life people schooly people are like having trouble finding places to park Mm -hmm. what was that like for you um i'll be honest we didn't have any trouble during the pandemic it kind of felt like we had built a social distancing mobile and we were so lucky to have like to be in this space during this time we were again like we're go power solar we have these huge water tanks you know we have a full-size refrigerator we were able to really stock up for like two weeks at a time our water was really good we were already in 
like Joshua Tree kind of Arizona area. And so we were on BLM land, which for people who don't know is government owned land. And most of the time it was like just us or maybe a few other buses and we were already spaced apart. So for us, and my husband is very much an introvert. So for us, it almost felt like it didn't change our lives that much. The one thing it affected was that we were showering at Planet Fitness as we would travel. And so Planet Fitness closed. And so there went that. But we bought a solar shower and it was absolutely fine. And we showered in the woods and I've had no problem. So it became difficult when we started to see how differently different towns were treating it, where you go into one town that seemingly was responding quite well where like there were signs about masks and gloves and they had already put up plastic barriers at the cashier and had implemented rules for the grocery store. And so you felt like immediately safe. And then you go into another town that was like, I don't even know if these people are listening to the news at all. And there were no masks and no gloves. And um, that was a little nerve wracking. Grocery stores were really our only interaction. Um, and so it became just like a, you know, get yourself mentally ready, uh, washing machines, like laundromats was another thing that we began to avoid. Um, and so we got very comfortable washing clothes in the sink and hanging them outside. And now we're planning on buying a portable washer dryer just because I don't plan on going back into them for a while. So, but I felt lucky to be in the bus, to be honest. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I think it is a social distancing mobile, especially with all of the off-grid capabilities that you mentioned. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, coming from somebody who, so I grew up in New York, which is very small apartment. And then we had been living in Miami on the 17th floor in a condo. And, and we kept saying to ourselves, like, had I been in the condo, my dog would never have had as much room and space as she does now because you'd only want to get in your elevator maybe once or twice a day. I would have interacted with a ton more people living in an apartment between the elevator, the staircase and the parking garage, like you're constantly interacting. So it felt like I was like just much safer just being being out here. And I think mentally for people who are traveling a lot, it gave you a different a different change of scenery. It gave you a change of scenery, which I think mentally was really good. Yeah, that's actually not something that I even thought about, just like how everyone's so cooped up and wanting to just get out of their house and see other things. Yeah, I think with like when I talk to my friends and family who have been sitting between four walls for months, I feel blessed that I've been able to kind of walk among trees during all yeah. of it. Yeah. Well, if you're if you're on a lap, um, Vermont is there are a lot of trees here. I'm coming. You are. It's so funny because I was just I have a girlfriend in Miami that spends her summers in Vermont with her family. And I literally before I got on this call, just reached out. because I was like, I'm coming through Vermont. Would love to like see you and hang out. We're going to be there, I think, like uh, beginning of August because we're starting to head back down. The okay. East Coast now. Okay. Um, well, after after the interview, we'll we'll exchange info and we'll make that happen. That's awesome. Yeah, I would love to. 
Awesome. So I learned about you um, when I read your um, your blog post, Dear White People, which um, kind of details your experience, um, a scary experience with, with some police officers in Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, reading it, I just, like, I felt really scared for you being on the road because you're already like in a school bus like you're you're additionally vulnerable like more so than than being a black woman in like Utah like surrounded by not necessarily always the most open-minded people but like you're in a school bus too and so I'm curious how you're has that shifted how you feel about the bus as a like as a home um it's interesting i'll tell you like the answer to that before i i go into the story about what happened but it honestly has made this bus feel more like a home um i think it it's made us very intentional about the space we're creating inside and the energy that's in here and and wanting to feel really safe um on these wheels and so it it hasn't deterred me. I think what's happened as we've traveled has only kind of ignited me and my voice. Um, you know, I'll go back to when we started. So when we left, we were in Yogaville in Buckingham, Virginia. And I've been visiting that ashram since birth and it's home to some really interesting people. And one of them was one of the men who started NPR. And we were just getting our solar panels up and our bus at that time was completely white. And we were doing like a build before we were heading out and we were super excited. And he pulled us to the side and he's a white man in his seventies, I believe. And he said, you have to paint the outside of your bus. And he said, you guys look like a prison bus and you have to remember that you're two black people traveling this country. And at the time coming from, it's not that I had never dealt with race. I've been dealing with microaggressions of race since birth so is my husband it's what happens as a black person in america i was unaware of of the kind of target that we were placing on our back by being in a bus and then being black and then driving through america and i think about him often because i think the saving grace has been our hand-painted logo and our now big green stripe and this kind of caricature that says bliss out bus because we're trying to appear as friendly as possible when we drive into a town. We had no issues through most of the country. Now we were aware of how quickly can we drive through Alabama, right? Like these were things we said to ourselves before this movement happened. How quickly can we drive through Texas? Um, And the reasons for those were because we are still black in America. And before the straw had broken the camel's back, we were already very aware of the relationship between black people and police and between small towns and our, our appearance there, right. Or our presence there. It really wasn't until we got to Moab, Utah, that it was like, holy shit, this is way worse than we kind of expected. I think you're right that when you enter a town, a schoolie already draws attention. People are already interested. And then 
to be black is already in a place like Moab, Utah, you are already drawing attention. When you add them both together, you now have what we have found to be in the last couple of states, kind of a hot pot for for uh, racial tension. In Moab, Utah, we were parked. So as we travel, there are many ways of many places you can stay, right? You can stay in RV park, BLM land, Walmart, public parking lot, public park. We were parked in a totally public space with no signs. Um, it was, it had been pouring all day. And so we don't drive when it's pouring rain. And so we had pulled over into a public lot and were, it was like 11 o'clock at night. And I think we were sitting there talking, watching TV, like no noise. We're both very quiet people and heard sirens and saw flashing light. And my immediate reaction was kind of to restrain the dog because she gets hyper when people knock or they're allowed sound. And so my husband went to the door first and I heard the way they spoke to him. Um, and the immediate kind of assumptions by asking him why we were there, wanting to know his first and last name, um, asking us questions like, did he have the means to drive out of town? Um, when he, when they asked for his ID is when I made the decision that they no longer needed to be talking to a black man and that I needed to step in. And so I asked him to switch. Um, it was, it was terrifying. We're in a town we don't know, surrounded by cops. Um, my husband is a, you know, a 200 something, six, five foot 11, six foot tall black man. And just their tone was indicative that there was a problem. Um, and so I stepped outside and I'm barefoot and in pajamas and standing outside on the cement and asked him to come back inside. And the things that we were forced to say, like that I'm yelling out the window, I'm going to come out now and please allow him to come back inside. Because we are so aware of how trigger happy these police are. And when I got outside, you know, we were basically told to leave town. And what I didn't add into the story was how many times they asked us to leave and how I kept saying to them, I do not feel comfortable at 11 o'clock at night in the dark, in the rain, trying to find some dark turnoff that you're telling us is miles away. And it took like 15 minutes of convincing them that that was not safe. And it took me saying to them, you can come find us turned over on some road, or you can help us get out of here. And it was begrudgingly that they like drove in front of us to get us out. And it was like, we are 40 year old people sitting in our home in a public place being kicked out of a town for no reason. And what he said to us was, the sheriff has been watching you all day. Now, why would we have been watched all day? Like it's pouring rain. The only time I would have left the bus would have been to walk the dog, which we clean up after. You know, we're not, we were both working all day on our computers. It's like, but he had watched us and had waited until it was nighttime to send his officers to our bus to ask us to leave. And you would think that that was the first instance in Morris, Illinois. It was followed up in Paw Paw, Michigan. Um, we're now sitting basically in a safe house in their driveway because I had to ask my job to intervene to find us a place to be. So the pandemic, no biggie. 
what is happening now, it has certainly influenced the way we're traveling. Yeah, there was there was something that you you wrote in your I think the more recent post about the experience in Papa, which was, you know, had I I had underestimated just how angry some became when we asked to live free. Mm-hmm. And that really that really hit me because like you know, so many people are just struggling with whatever, you know, financially, mm-hmm. housing, all these things and and tiny houses and school buses are just such a great solution. They're not for everyone, but like they really do allow more people to live free and it's just mm-hmm. it's so disturbing that you're having these experiences while you kind of pursue this. It's like the pursuit of happiness that isn't hurting anyone. Mm-hmm. It's arguably making the world a better place. I think, you know, I consider myself to be an optimist and a, and a, a hopeful participant in life. And, and I think for those of us who live that way, there's a certain, um, we don't want to sit with just how ugly things are sometimes. And we don't want to deal with just how bad things become or the reality of what is actually the truth of where we are in this moment. I think that we see on our social media feeds or we hear through the news perhaps that things are changing and policies, new policies are being implemented and perhaps cases are being opened. And so people are, are buoyed by that progression. And I think what they are underestimating is exactly what I wrote, which is how very angry we are making those who, are, who absolutely do not agree with what we stand for. I think what we're finding as we travel is that there are people who we become, my husband and I become kind of like the the avatar for black folk, right? Like we become like, those are the, the, the representation of black lives matter and people who are being heard and people who are trying to change things. And it's pissing people off. It is shocking how vocal they've become about it. When we were in Paw Paw, and I wrote this, we pulled in again at the park. It's like two o'clock in the afternoon. And I walked the dog and watched people watch us and watched teenagers take pictures. And truthfully, my first indication was like they were taking pictures of the bus. And I have a beautiful dog. Like it could have been a million things. Until the cops pulled up and did not come to us first. They went right up to those teenagers, had a very kind of ha-ha conversation. And were staring at our bus and then walked over to us while these kids watched, while the people watched from across the street and told us that racial tensions were high and that we needed to leave. He asked me for my first and last name. I told him that I thought, and it's terrifying because what you're being asked to do is so ridiculous, but to speak up is also putting your life in danger. And to say something as simple as I'm not giving you my first and last name. I mean, his reaction was if I had cursed him out, he put his hands up, he backed away. Oh, excuse me, ma'am. And really my words were, I don't think that I need to give you my first and last name for sitting outside of a public park in the middle of the day. But the fact that I, as a Black woman, had the audacity to question him and to stand up for myself, we were immediately told to get out. 
that is what is happening. And so while it doesn't, it, but again, it doesn't make me regret my choice to live like this. It, if anything, it's like, I wonder if this is my purpose of being on the road is to document this. For those of us who are on the road, who aren't black, who to understand just how free you are in this life you've chosen, that these aren't things that you ever have to think about. And to give a voice to those of us who are black and people of color who are simply trying to do the same thing you guys are doing and are being punished for it. Yeah. And if my role is to document and give voice to that, then I'm good with that. Wow. Have you been seeking out opportunities to, you know, go to protests and and be involved because of the mobility, you know, because you you do have more mobility than most people. Like nobody can really travel right now, but you kind of miraculously can. It's been interesting. So we tried to join a protest in Chicago. That was the first one that we could have in our like route of driving. Homeland Security, having a bus made it super difficult to try to get in and park. And and one of the things was like, what we've thought about, what we thought about in Chicago was your bus is also this huge thing, which if people are protesting and looting, if your bus is parked too closely, it's not too far from thought that this would be the first thing that's like spray painted or pushed over or what have you. COVID has made it that it's a little scary to think about joining protests. I want to be on the front line, right? Like I want to be right alongside everyone. I also think about, I don't want to die from this terrible disease. I've lost a family member to it now. I've had friends who have lost people to it. And it's very real. My, both of my parents died from cancer, both dealing with lung issues, sat with them while they were on ventilators. I take it very seriously, not exposing myself or my husband to it. Um, and so I, for myself, I feel like I can fight with my words. I can fight by showing up in these towns. And, and while I can't yell in a cop's face, I can stand up and say, I'm not giving you my name. I can at least assert myself as a Black woman on the road that we're not going to be pushed over. I'm aware that by traveling and writing, and I'm also kind of dangling myself in front of a bullseye. and. I feel very strongly that that is just what I have to do. Um, and so that is my way of resistance. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, that what you're, what you're doing on your blog and through writing about it is, you know, in its own way, also it, it's a risk as you've just acknowledged. And so I think that, you know, you're doing a lot by doing what you're doing. Um, and so you know, I certainly have, you know, in, in your post, Dear White People, you know, you kind of say, I'm asking you to stand with us and speak up for us. Um, and, you know, I certainly have been trying to do a better job of that inside, in my life in general, but also just in the tiny house movement in general, which has not really been representative of of everybody of black people who are trying to do this and trying to live tiny i i mean i know that uh, a few 
like Jewel Pearson and Dominique Moody, who are two women who both live in tiny houses on wheels and have been public about their experiences, have both experienced awful racism, both through their writings and also like actually physically needing to move their houses because Mm -hmm. of vandalism or just fearing for their safety. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you think, you know, I'm struggling with the question, but what do you think the tiny house movement can do to make, to make the tiny house movement a more inclusive and safe place? Um, I have, it's been, um, what's the word I want? It has been both wonderful and disappointing to see how the tiny house movement has kind of rallied since this new movement or revolution has begun. Um, it's disappointing because why did it take this for us to be included in this conversation? I think when you th- look back at the history of, you know, van lifers and tiny homes, hippies were black and white, and we've been living like this for a very long time. I think there's certain conversations because of the aesthetic belief or the belief that we have as a society of what is aesthetically pleasing that we keep pushing this idea of we do this in the tiny house movement. I work in wellness. We do this in the wellness field as well, right? Of this very pure white being that represents these areas. I think diversifying your feed is one thing. I think it's also including one, diversifying your feed, two, engaging in conversations on those platforms. So not just getting like, but commenting and, and, listening to those people's podcasts and learning other people's points of views. I think when you're someone like you who has a podcast, who has a platform, like stop putting the same people on all the time. Start looking for people who come from different races and different cultures because we all are out here. I think there is a certain amount of when you recognize your own privilege in the life you've chosen, the empathy that extends to others that you see on the road I saw something really interesting and it was a meme that went around, but it was about a man who passed a white man who passed a black man broken down on the road and stopped, went and got him help and came back. And he said, because I didn't want a cop stopping you and fucking with you. And it's like when you're out on the road, if you see someone in a van, in a bus, that is a person of color, you stop because what they are dealing with is not just a cop pulling up. I think there are so many ways. I think, you know, one of the things that my husband and I are planning on doing is compiling a list of where it's safe for Black people to go. And I think this is something that we have to think about as a community is that it is not safe for all of us to go where you go. And if you can be involved in that conversation, whether it's as a white person, knowing that you have friends in all these areas and they can become safe houses, or driveways or streets for Black people to park on when they're driving through a Pawpaw or a Morris or a Moab. I think it's important to reach out and say, what do you need? Because we are not dealing with the same thing. Absolutely. And, and I, just to add to that list, something that I've become aware of and that I've been pushing for is that, you know, if I'm, if I'm ever asked to speak at an event that's related to tiny houses and I don't see people of color represented on the speaker panel, I've started speaking up and, and I encourage 
listeners, you know, if, if you're interested in the tiny house movement, that's also something you can do. Absolutely. If, if you're planning to go to an event and you see that the speaker panel is just all white people, like. Absolutely. Say I've something. been to a number of tiny home events. The last one was the only one I saw a black woman speak at. That's absurd. Right. We were there. We were part. Yeah. You know, like we were there visiting tiny homes. We were there with our tiny homes. How is it possible that I've now been to seven festivals and seen one black woman speak? That doesn't make any sense. And I don't think it's because we don't have the voice or the wish to be included. It's because we're not asked. And that's a perfect, that's a perfect um, point about using your own privilege, right? A perfect example of using your privilege of saying to the people who are organizing, where are the black people in this? You know, where are the Spanish people in this? Like, there are just so many other voices and they bring such a different element. And I think, you know, as people who live in this community, we talk about how amazing it is, how beautiful this life is, how we wouldn't trade it in for anything else. So if that's the case, because I still believe in that, even with what's going on, if that's the case, we also do these YouTube channels and podcasts because we're hoping other people join us. And so why wouldn't you want to expand that conversation, right? And the only way to do that is to mirror people. So if you want more inclusion, you have to show them that we exist. You know, and let's let everyone know how beautiful this life can be and experience what it's like to go tiny. Yeah, I like that. And I thank you so much for for sharing all this with me and with all the listeners of of this show. I, I had one other question. Like it struck me that, you know, not, not many people can just leave where they are living so easily. And I like, I'm curious how you think about that. Like, cause in, in on one sense, like when you do experience bias and racism from police and from people and just from the people in a town, you're not stuck there. You didn't just move there. Mm-hmm. For, like you didn't just buy a house there mm-hmm. you can just you know you can just start up your house and drive away mm-hmm. do you think that you know and, and yet that makes me sad that like you that, that you have to leave mm-hmm. i don't know if i have a question but i <laughs> well i'm just gonna are you wondering like the difference of the people who have to stay right? Versus the ones who aren't able to pull off and just leave. Yeah. I think that what, what is um, something that I, I think our white allies need to remember and people who are listening to this is that we have had to stay and deal with racial injustice every day of our life, right? That is the reality of a Black person in America. There is no escaping, whether it's work, whether it's our neighbors, whether it's within our, our friendship tribe, whether it's micro or macro, we are not able to leave. And it's why the straw has broken the camel's back now and this map has been lit because we're tired, right? And we're tired of having to deal with this on a day-to-day basis. I do have an ability to pull out and leave and, and escape what happens here, but I'm also hyper aware of what is waiting for me when I continue. This is not something that was individual or 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 was attached to Papa or Morris or Moab. 
Uh, this might be a part of the country that is a little harsher than others, but this exists in every town and every state. And so whether I am able to leave or not until we as a country are able to fix this problem, this is something that will continue for the rest of my life, which is why we're fighting so hard now. Yeah. Thank you for coming up with a much better question than, than I had. <laughs> um, one thing that I like to ask all my guests um, are what are two or three books that, you know, either have inspired you in the tiny house realm, like things that helped you with your school bus and conversion, or just in general. I mean, you're so knowledgeable about yoga and we didn't even get into the work that you do with the dinner party, but any, any reading recommendations for, for the listeners? Oh, reading recommendations. I revisit the golden present almost every day. So the golden present was written by Swami Satchidananda. I am connected to him because he is who founded the ashram in Connecticut and Yogaville. But you can certainly Google him. The Golden Present is a book that has like a calendar in it. So every day is a different lesson. He wrote it in 1983. I have my mother's old copy. It's been since we published. However, every year that I revisit it, it's different because I change. And that book for me has been my major. Uh, Kind of my major touch point on how I'm relating to the world and people and myself and how I am to better live my life. Uh, right now, I'm listening to like a number of podcasts. I'm also a huge cookbook reader, which is like, I'm a big believer in finding joy. The Cooking Gene is one of my favorites. It's a book. He's a Black Jewish chef who tells the stories of ancestry and lineage through, through food and tradition through both the Black and Jewish tradition. I think that at this point with what's happening in life, I think we have to be very intentional about what we're feeding ourselves mentally. And so looking for just what brings me like total joy and happiness has kind of been my, my mainstay. So I'm reading uh, Eat, Feel Good which is an Ayurvedic cookbook and uh, Food Swings by Jesse Seinfeld, which is another like great book about swinging between vice and virtue and being able to balance both. Cookbooks with messages is what I'm up to right now. Nice. Those, those sound great. Um, Ayana Sundari, Malcolm, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. This was a good conversation. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for giving me a voice and for continuing to be an ally to the black community. Thank you. Thank you so much to Ayana Sundari Malcolm for being a guest on the show today. You can find the show notes, including links to Ayana's blog and more at thetinyhouse.net slash 119. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 119. Now I'd like to tell you a little bit more about our sponsor this week, Tiny House Engage. I mentioned it before the show started, but I didn't tell you that Tiny House Engage members are also able to listen in as I record these podcasts and interviews and submit questions to our guests. So if you're a big fan of the show, it's a great way to get an inside look at the Tiny House Lifestyle podcast and get access to episodes weeks or even months before they go live on the feed. To learn more and register for Tiny House Engage, go to thetinyhouse.net slash engage. 
Registration is open through Friday, July 25th, or until we get 20 new members, whichever comes first. I can't wait to meet you in Tiny House Engage, and I know you'll love your new Tiny House community. That website again is thetinyhouse.net slash engage. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.